Welcome to the Working Dog Depot podcast with your hosts, Rich Harden and Howard Young. All right. Well, Howard Young, how you doing, my friend? Doing very well. How about you, buddy? Well, a little, uh, little under the weather with some allergies, but other than that, so excuse my congested sounding voice tonight, but I'm doing well other than that. Very good. I think we ought to jump right into it. We kind of have a special guest. That, and I think so, too. You know, we, we, we've, we found him down there at the Hold the Line Conference in Pittsburgh, and, uh, and now he's on the show. So without further ado, let's just get right to it. Welcome, Kenny Licklider. Good afternoon, fellas. How are you, sir? Doing good. Enjoying some better weather, finally. Us, yeah, us as well. Well, it is very good to see you. I know that uh, I can't speak for Rich, but I think it's pretty much the same way. I can say without a shadow of a doubt that my very beginnings of mainly detection, but it certainly spans way beyond that, can be attributed to the path that you've laid and the, the instruction you've given. Huge impact. Yeah, we've been together a long time, Howard. Has been a while. Yeah. And I know there have been hundreds, if not thousands, of other folks as well. So certainly appreciate all the work that you've done. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm uh, gonna I'm gonna echo that one, Howard. 96, 97 was when I was there. So it's uh it's been a minute or two. Yeah, yes, it has. So when when we started or when I started, we had simply we simply had patrol dogs in a small agency and they weren't really interested in detection. And I was able to get them somewhat interested, and we had a couple dogs that we trained uh, in aggressive alert. And I went to seminar in Sevierville, which is we've talked about numerous times on our podcast because it's had it was such a great thing, and there was uh, so I I was watching this trainer Kenny Licklider and listening to him talk, and then I watched a dog in a room, and I remember it very vividly. It was a kind of like a warehouse building with very high ceilings, and you had placed considerable amount of marijuana in the middle of the room in a ceiling tile above a ceiling tile, and I watched. Fortunately, there were still some leftover aggressive alert dogs running through the problem, and they would come in the room and they would negotiate around the outside of the room and they would look for objects they were they had odor they didn't know what to do with it they were looking for an object to fixate on or scratch on and they would either find a little socket or something and I watched a dog that had come through your program and uh, quickly picked up odor circled around the middle of the room got to the middle of the room sat propped up looked sat down I said I'm sold <laughs> I'd never seen anything like that before in my life. Yeah, you know, I I was an aggressive response trainer and, and handler back in the 70s. And like everybody, when we started to change to the passive, I wasn't real high on it. I uh, Like all of us, I fought it. But then as I got into it, I wouldn't train another aggressive dog if you paid me at double. Right. All these guys that talk about, well, I want an aggressive response because he pinpoints better. <laughs> when a guy says that to me, he just tells me he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Right. Odor is odor, and, and, the, and the, the, the dogs go through the same sequence, whether they're passive or aggressive. They pick up odor, they follow it to source, 
and then they do whatever we taught them to do. And I look at guys now and I say, I'll give you a free dog if you can give me one legitimate reason why you would rather your dog tear somebody's shit up <laughs> than put his dog snout on it and stare at it. Right. And I've never had to give a dog away. So, yeah, I'm sold on it. I have been sold on it for a lot of years. Right. Well, when I was finally able to convince the administration that we, they, they apparently came by some money and they were going to add a dog to their uh, vice unit. And so it was kind of a slow sell, but we ended up uh, getting a dog from you guys. And it was really funny. The dog's name was Baloo and oh. he was trained by uh, Jason Stanzi. Jason. Yeah. yeah. I think it was maybe the first dog he handled when he, when he went through your program. So we spent a week there, and I'll tell you, when I say I've stolen stuff from you, I don't, not physically stolen, <laughs> but we, uh, we took measurements of boxes. We, did, we took pictures. I mean, it was everything we could. So I felt like you know, I could gather enough information to come back home and try to, try to recreate it. And to be honest, we, we did things that way and still do that, things that way to a certain degree. But they've maybe morphed it a little bit, as I'm sure you guys have morphed things and changed things over the years. I tell everybody that the best trainers in the world world are the biggest thieves. Right. If you're not stealing from people in this podcast, if one of you two says something smart, I will steal it and teach my people <laughs> next week and say I thought of it. And that's the way we have to be, because if you stay doing what you did, I came in in 1976. If I did stuff the way we did back then, I'd be bankrupt and gone. So, right. yeah, stealing's good. Absolutely. Yeah, but but like Howard did, he, you have to give credit, too. <laughs> um, that's rare, but thank you, Howard. That, 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 that is rare, <laughs> but you should give credit, absolutely. So, so I'm, 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 I'm sorry, Howard, go ahead. No, go ahead. You go ahead. I was just going to ask, I don't think I've ever heard the story of how, how did you get involved in dogs, period. Oh, my God. I, um, I was a decent ball player when I was young. My dad was a pro ball player, but I wasn't near his height, but I could – I could hold my own. I joined the Air Force because I didn't have any money to go to college, so I joined the military. And when I went in the military, I had no idea what I wanted to do, so I, they said, well, we need electricians. I said, well, then I guess I'm going to be an electrician. Got down there, got down to MEPS, and all of a sudden there's a guy walking through there saying they needed volunteers for cops. Now, I have no cop background in me, and I, but I wasn't real happy about it. I said, yeah, okay, pick me. Went down to San Antonio, went through the cop school, and the commanders down there all had their own ball teams. This is back in the 70s, and they were very competitive, and they knew who was coming. So I got down there, and they knew me. And they said, you're, 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 you're going through this squadron. And I played ball. That's literally what I did a lot, most of the time. And when it came time for to graduate from the law enforcement school, we were kicking ass and winning – you know, some kind of tournaments or something. And they said, I had orders to go to Korea. And uh, they said, you ain't going nowhere. And they moved me from law enforcement to canine. And I never left. That was 46 years ago. So <laughs> it was by chance. You know, like every, every good opportunity in the world is by chance. You just have to recognize it. Right. And I got into canine and I, I was in trouble all the time. I got busted several times. But the dog program kept me going. I never left it, so that's how I got in. Nice. Very nice. So, like I said, I've never heard that story before and, and didn't know it was going to go that direction, so that's pretty cool. 
No, I was going to ask, if I remember correctly, you were involved early on on some of those ventures to get dogs from overseas. Yes, I was. I went through my career through the Philippines and through several places and ended up at Lachlan as the kennel master, the trainer, and then the kennel master at the base. And it was located right next to the Debt 37, which did all the incoming, outgoing dogs coming into the military. The guy that ran that was a guy named Hawkinson, who we became very close friends. Hawkinson was a big old boy, didn't look intelligent, but was extremely intelligent. And he put together a request to the Air Force to go to Europe to buy dogs. And he'd done all the research and he got made all the contacts and he went to them and said, we can buy dogs all day long that are already doing obedience work, bite work or not, that have drives out the, you know what? And he got them to approve dog trips over there. I was next door, good friend of his. He asked me if I wanted to go. I was a young E5. And yeah, I want to go over there and drink the German beer and, you know, do whatever we do in Germany and Holland. So I got to go on the first two. And I had no idea what this was going to do for me. But we bought, we went over there to find the best dual purpose dog, you know. So we bought six breeds. Mm. The German Shepherd, the Bouvier, the Giant Schnauzer, the Rottweiler, the Doberman, and this thing called the Malinese. The Malinese. <laughs> Yeah, nobody knew how to pronounce it. So we get over there, and I was one of three that, that had to do all the handling. You know, all the higher-ups, they just you know, go get that dog. And these dogs are already attack trained, and they never smelled an American, seen an American. And we got to get them out of these little crate things and handle them. Well, it was a lot of fun. I learned a ton, met a lot of neat people, got bit several times, mm. especially, I mean, I had a the biggest Bouvier I've ever seen crawl out of a kennel, come up on my neck and start spitting in my face. And all my buddies being buddies, get him, Ken. You know, you got him. I'm negotiating with this dog. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a good boy. But he ended up being the first Bouvier in the Air Force, and I got to handle him for almost a year. Yeah. But the Malinois was the trick. The Malinois was a little bitty dog. wasn't very big at all. And you know Americans, right? We don't want little Max, yeah, we don't want little Max. We want big Max. And we told the Europeans this. We told the Dutch this. And I think that day they went behind the the, the shed and started mating, you know, Great Danes <laughs> and German Shepherds, and that's how the Malinois developed into the dog that we wanted. The drives were there. The courage was there. Everything was there, but the size. So right. they bred them, and they got so big that they were mini ponies, and we said, whoa, 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 let's go back down. And they cut that about in half, and that's where we get the dogs we see today. But it was a great experience. Met all the people that I still buy dogs from today. I still have kennels with today. Yeah, it was a great experience. Wow. That is amazing. The history of the Malinois in America, huh? That's what happened. Yeah, I mean, wow. we could go over there and buy these things for near nothing, and – they did almost everything we wanted. They didn't do any detection over there. We had to do all that back here. But they developed the bite work. I got to hang out at their clubs and see how they did what they did. When I first bought dogs, when I retired in 93, the first big first dog I got, of course, was a big Dutch Shepherd. I, I used the box system. I went down to get him to smell the box, and he grabbed me by my thigh. Yep. Uh, now he's about 80 pounds, and I'm going, okay, buddy. 
And I talked my way out of that mess. The next one was a small dog because I wanted to have some detector dogs. I tried to get it to go to the box. It wouldn't even go to the box. It went like this, backing away from it. And I'm going, okay, they didn't teach me this shit at Lachlan. So I got a ticket and I went over to Europe and I spent about a month with them in their clubs. And I found out they were juicing the, the heck out of them. And they were juicing them. They were juicing the box, but they wanted them to go to the box right. as a large evidence search. You know, Howard? Yes. And, and, but they didn't want them to touch it. So right. they teach them to get crazy on it, then they juice them. So now these dogs are mad at it. That's why they bit me. So when right. I started my programs, I added a box. The big old box, you remember that one? Yeah, right. That's, that's not part of Dr. Craig's. I, I did that because I wanted to reverse what these dogs had learned. I wanted them to quit thinking, well, this thing's going to shock me. Because they'd fill them up with toys and stuff, drag them along the ground, get them crazy over them, then they'd electrocute them. So now these dogs are scared to death of them. They don't want to get near them, or they're mad at them. That's why they were biting me. The little dog was running away from it because it would shock her. Wow. But you don't know any of that unless you go over there and learn it from the people that were doing it. So for folks that don't know, that first step is really to change the association with that box to something yeah. positive. It's a big it's a big toy box. Yeah. Yeah, they put toy, food, whatever. They drag it behind bicycles. They get the dogs to attack it because what it was for it was large evidence search over there in, the, in their mm -hmm. program they'd want the dog to go out in the woods or a field find it and guard it and raise hell while they're guarding it so that the handler wherever he's at knows where he is but if you don't know that you're going to get yourself ate up yeah. right yeah so a learning well, i think anybody that has handled some some dutch dogs in this country that has utilized any kind of wooden box <laughs> at some point you you see that manifest itself yep. you know in a bizarre way and we had a big big duchy that his first experience with the box is that he came in and he grabbed it and picked it up and shook it threw it across the room <laughs> <laughs> you know you kind of scratch your head about why <laughs> but once you have a little history and you yeah. understand those things are really important yeah same same experience i had dutch shepherd jumped on the box and the next thing I know, he was really mad at me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trying to figure out, why, why are you biting me, buddy? <laughs> good boy. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. So, so, so you, you re, the military, 93, you retired, and you, did you start Von Lick right after that? Yeah, I was, uh, I loved the military, and I moved through it pretty quick because I liked what I did. So I was an E8 with only 13 years in, and some people liked that, some didn't. And I was having good times and bad. But all of a sudden, Clinton, that lovely president, offered early retirement to anybody that was an E6 or E7 or above at a base that was closing. I, I was an E8. I only had one more to go, and I was not enjoying myself because I, I wasn't an administrator. I wanted to be out working the dogs, training the dogs. So when they offered me that early retirement, I broke through doors to get to my commander's office in time. And I retired that day. I only had, at the time of retirement, was 16 years in, but they gave me full retirement. And I came home and told my wife at the time, we're retired. And I had a one and a two-year-old, no job, no nothing. But I knew from training civilian police departments that there was room for improvement. And so I started a dog school in my living room. This episode of the Working Dog Depot podcast is brought to you by our title sponsor, Fox and Hound. 
Fox and Hound have spent years creating the perfect formulas that are safe for our pups and contain many natural ingredients. They develop the highest quality products for all dogs and products for all dog lovers and their homes. Products range from scented candles to dog shampoo, flea and tick spray, stain remover, paw balm, and dog cologne. They've even developed a line for working dogs and their handlers. For you folks who are required to wear a vest while on duty, you should check out their vest spray. Folks, the Young Home has fox and hound products in every room. For me, it's really quite simple. The products are great, and they're made by great people. Order online at shopfoxandhound.com or follow an order on Instagram at shopfoxandhound. For a 15% discount, use the WDDP discount code. Remember, man's best friend deserves dog's best products. Mm -hmm. Um, I I knew I could get dogs from being over there. I had all the friends, all the connections. So I started training dogs in my garage. Um, I had a kennel that had a dirt floor, no water, no heat, no electricity. But I had a nice little piece of property in Indiana. Back then, Indiana was great. People asked me why I stayed here. The people were great. Property was affordable. So I started a kennel. And my first classroom was in my living room. And I just started training dogs the way I thought, the way the military. And one thing I learned very quick, in a government job, you could screw up and just, you know, go get another one and who cares? But when you're by yourself and you're paying for this stuff, you got to do it right or you go bankrupt. Yep. So I started realizing the way they taught me to track was bullshit. The, I learned about the boxes. I learned about the dog. I just, I took my time. I didn't sell a lot of dogs at the beginning. I was just, you know. My, making sure my craft was there and slowly but surely it started working out yeah I, you know what i have a dog sport magazine somewhere around here that featured you in an article you'll remember that remember the newspaper style dog yeah. sport magazine yeah uh, i think that's what it was called and it was it featured your very early beginnings you you were operating out of your home did it Yes, that's cool. That's cool. It was a long time ago, Howard. It was a long time ago. Like, remember, remember when we were the young guys? <laughs> I do. Remember that, Rich? I do. Absolutely. Oh, so I was ready to say. So what you mean? You you didn't just become an overnight success? No, no, I didn't. No, you I didn't. didn't just show up and have all the stuff you have today, huh? No, and and I cha- I wasn't afraid to change. That's what's wrong in today. Change just to change is to me is wrong. But if you see something or you hear someone and you see that it can help you and you don't change, you're wrong. And I I was taught to track in the military. The worst training I ever got in my life, I hated tracking. It did not work the way they said it would work. And I'm just sitting there thinking, and I came up with something just just sitting in the, you know, in the men's room like we do, thinking. And I was taught to track into the wind. And and I thought that's the way you did it, but my dogs all wanted air scent. And I'm going, this isn't right. And I was going, wait a minute. All I did was turn my dogs around and track with the wind in my back. Right. That sounds simple, but everybody was tracking into the wind. When I turned it around, oh, my Lord, the passive response. I loved it from the beginning. But the dogs, you know, they talk about I want an aggressive dog because he'll, he'll pinpoint better. Well, the reason was is these the passive trainers weren't requiring their animals to get to the actual source and stay there, not looking back or turning around and looking to, to daddy. Well, I, I took a trip with my son out to Oklahoma. We were uh, hunting quail. And you know how much quail dog, you know, big bird dogs, they're expensive. 
Well, we lost the best dog we had. Couldn't find this son of a bitch anywhere. And these guys are panicking. So they go get four-wheelers and donkeys and everything they can get. We're crossing these fields. One hour later, we found this dog. And tell me what he was doing. Point, Point the bird. Point the bird. <laughs> and I'm telling you, that hit me like a sledgehammer. And I went back to my hotel room. And again, I'm sitting on the pooper thinking. And it dawned on me. I said, what's the difference between that quail and cocaine? So I went back here and I started a little project to get dogs to focus. This is back way back in the early 90s. I got three dogs that, I mean, these some bitches that they found, if it was in the end of this, they put their nose there and I didn't have to be anywhere near them, didn't have to talk to them, never do nothing. Well, I took it to Lachlan because that was my alma mater. <laughs> All my buddies showed up to see Ken show this new thing that he had. The guy that was buying the dogs, I didn't know him. Well, I'm standing in the hallway, and there's a room right here, and I send this dog, and I'm still talking to this guy. This dog goes around the room like our dogs do, and he's nervous. He's looking at me going, aren't you going in there? I said, why? My dog is obedient to odor. My dog understands what he's looking for. I don't have to walk backwards and kick him in the forehead every time he tries to go past me. That's the dumbest thing we do. But this dog found this, and bam, and I'm still talking to this guy. Never even looked in the room. And he he's nervous. These guys in the back, all the like, yeah, yeah. When we were done with those three dogs that were the miracle dogs, he looked at me and said, Well, that's that's neat, but I don't see how it can help me. Mm. I picked up my three dogs and went home and I didn't go back to the military for at least five years. Right. I came out here to the civilians. That's when Severeville and all that stuff got started. But a dog that will find it, pinpoint it, stick with it. And I like the stare. And I, he doesn't have to stare, but he just can't look at me and then sit. And right. there's a lot of that out there. But this guy said he didn't see how that could help him. But focus on odor takes the pressure off the handler. And that's all I was trying to do, make it easier for my students, make it easier for the handler. And uh, that's how it started. That's where we started the boxes. We started the boxes here. And Ray Allen wanted to go into business with me. Well, they ended up taking it and then selling it to the boys that have it now. But I don't even use poppers anymore. Right. I don't use them because the dogs get too cute on the ball in there and the ball. And they, they start doing this and stepping back. And I, I agree. Yeah. Yes. So a lot of this stuff is stuff that was around back in the 90s, but people think it's new and it's not new. Right. Well, Howard always says there's nothing new under the sun. They just repackage it. And, you know, and, and good on some people for, you know, being good at marketing. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but it's not it's not new no very cool well i suppose the one thing that i should cuss you for is that i am addicted to having dogs that have that stare yeah because i know it's possible and i know that when they leave me and they don't ever leave me i pretty much keep my hands involved in it it's not the dog it's the handler (laughs) (laughs) exactly so my challenge to the last handler that i've that i've been working with is his dog has got a beautiful stare. And I said, your challenge is by this time next year, it still looks the same. To keep it. Yeah. yeah. Right. We talk about, I use a little analogy about uh, Lassie. You know, Lassie was 11 dogs. And if Timmy's a dumbass, he ain't never getting out of that well. <laughs> it's about the handler. People think it's about the dog. Now, on the other side of it, I don't believe in reading your dog the way other people teach it. If your dog's taught properly, 
You don't got reading. He knows what you, what he's supposed to do. He knows he's supposed to work this this room, find that odor, go to it, sit there and stay there till you tell him or, or give him something else. And some of these trainers are so hard on their new handlers. You didn't read him. Uh, well, if you'd have trained him right, that young kid wouldn't have had to do everything you're putting pressure on him. So a little bit of different ideas, but basically it's all the same stuff. Well, there's definitely some different styles out there for sure. And I think that, um, you know, p- people learn under different circumstances. Some people need a, a kick in the butt. I'm just not the person that's going to do that. I'm probably more, much more understanding and yeah. patient and uh, willing to just continue to work with them. But right. Right. I know that it frustrates other guys sometimes to watch because they don't always know what's going on behind the scenes either. Right. You know, I, not everybody has to be embarrassed to, to uh, learn. So right what yes. do, you, do you think? Do you think over time that the trainers, especially, they just forget that, you know, there's things that you're processing in your mind that new people have no idea what you're talking about. Right. You know, right. and by the time they figure it out, the moment it passed, you right. know, that's, it's all, that's a timing issue that, you know, you two and, you know, folks that I've been around like you guys, you know, your timing, your ability to see what's about to happen is through experience and seeing thousands of dogs. When we had our first dog in our hands, we weren't seeing that either, you know, and that's why you got to give people a break sometime, you know, reading dogs is not an easy thing. Uh, we, I think trainers, you know, especially good trainers take it for granted sometimes that, Hey, you know what, what they're, what you're, you should be seeing what I'm seeing. Right. I've caught myself like that over the years. And now I'm like you, Howard, I'm not what I was back in the nineties. Now I believe in letting, giving this guy time, Mm-hmm. Work him through it. You know, in our first week of class, I give them their uh, goal, what their first week's goal are. And people laugh at and I've had guys get mad at me. And I tell them, in your first week, your goal is to suck. <laughs> I tell them that because they're all triple A's and they all want to be the best. I say, you haven't got a chance in hell of being great at this in the first week. So just get that out of your head. Get that triple A crap out of your head. And we'll get you through it. So I agree with you. Yeah. And don't blame the dog. Don't blame the dog. <laughs> exactly. Because the dog got up this morning and said, I'm going to screw you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. It's fun. It's fun working. You know, I've got, like I said, I've got 47 years in this. Mm-hmm. And it's. I would. they say, why aren't you retired? I said, why would I retire from playing with dogs? You know? Yeah. I don't think I ever will. Good for you. So, and you. And you shouldn't. It was great. I, I don't know about Howard. We talked about it at lunch. It was it's so great seeing you. You know, I hadn't seen you in years and years and years, and uh, it was it was nice to catch up. And I'm I'm glad that we can sit down today and reconnect. But I, I want to hear the next part of your your police story. So you got out of the military. You started training dogs in your in your uh, living room. So what what was the next big step for your kennel? When did you say, hey, we're you know we're gonna we're gonna have a really good shot at this? Well, one thing I I knew is. Don't try to move too fast. Don't try to be one of these guys that knows everything and has done everything. Take your time. So we did. And I didn't go into debt. Everything I did, I did because I could pay for it. So we worked out of that five acres that I owned right here in Indiana. And as we're working out of that, I built my first kennel. Small kennel, 20 runs, a little... Like my, my office was right next to my little classroom up in the front of this, and you know, it's still over there. But I didn't go into debt, and I just slowly started 
expanding. And here in Indiana, back at that time, you could buy land for $800 an acre. And all these farmers around here had owned this land their whole life. So I got friendly with them and I just slowly start acquiring more property and acquiring places like uh, Grissom Air Force Base. It closed when I retired. Well, I was a ranking cop when it, when it closed and I knew everybody. So I stayed close with the people that were redoing that base. And they started coming to me and saying, hey, we got this over here. Might do good for you. Are you interested? In the beginning, I wasn't because I wasn't going to go into debt. I, I owe nothing on anything that I own. And I wasn't going to go into debt. Like some of these guys, they go buy all this stuff. And then they're forced to have to sell shit dogs to pay, make their payments. But they kept offering me this stuff on the base. And it ended up they almost gave it to me because they wanted a presence on the part of Grissom that was closed. So I ended up owning a whole lot of stuff down there and it really helped. We, we have our own hotel. We have our, we have probably 40 warehouses and buildings and our students in class don't have to go to the same place more than twice in a six week course. And that really helps them because they get absolutely that. Yeah. And I was buying things that, that were coming up for sale because back then most property was owned by old people that had been there for a long time and uh, they knew what we were doing, and they really loved working with the military. They really loved the dog thing. Indiana is not like any other. They, it's mom, apple pie, and cops and, and dogs. So that's how it worked. I just slowly started adding on. And then as it got better, I bought that second kennel out in California. And I was at a Swig Dog conference. I was part of the, an original member of Swig Dog. And someone said, hey, there's a kennel right up the road here. And I got in the car, and on the driveway, I bought it. I probably should have done a little more due diligence because California, <laughs> you can keep California. I would, I'm sorry. Sorry, Californians. But I bought it, and we've had it now for 10, 12 years. It's doing very well. But just taking it a little at a time, not overdoing it, not acting like you're God's gift to dogs. That's There's a lot of great trainers. Look at this. You know, and and I I think we should disagree. I think that's healthy. I think we should talk about things and not necessarily think the same way. But it grew, and pretty soon I'm 65, which I don't like. <laughs> I don't like that at all. Yeah. yeah. There's, you certainly did envision that it would be, I'm going to call it an empire. I'm sorry, it's an empire. You wouldn't have envisioned that it would have grown to this, to this point. No way in hell. <laughs> uh, but it grew, and... We, I wrote the program for Delta, SEAL Team 6. I wrote the program for the Rangers, for the uh, MARSOC, and all the numbered guys. I wrote them. I had a vision of what a, what a military dog at that capacity should be. And it wasn't a cop dog. Right. Well, I wrote them, ran them. We never lost a single person in Iraq or Afghanistan. The TED program, most successful program in Army history. Look it up. Ended up, but I ended up losing these programs because of politics. You know, eventually somebody slid in there and said they could do it bigger, better, and better. Mm -hmm. So now we went from running everything to where we're not anymore. I don't like that. We've got a huge place here that's being underutilized. And, but we're busy. We're busy with cop dogs. But the days of us running everything, that ended when the, when the war ended. So Right. We're here, guys, but, uh, you know, we're just not what we used to be, and I hate that. Well, I can tell you that for a North Carolinian, 
and uh, go into your place to buy dogs was always such an such a cool adventure because it would take us a day to drive up and then we figured we'd have a day to evaluate dogs and we might and the, your process is like none other because basically you have unfettered access to you know x number of dogs yeah you bring your leash your toys your ball whatever you're going to use and you just do what you want and you'll uh, have 200 dogs to look at <laughs> you can do all these other guys they won't let you touch their dogs they won't let you do anything yeah. Well, I just remember how unnerving it was walking down the center aisle of that <laughs> kennel with dogs on both sides. And you know, we would tell it, you know, you tell a guy that look, you just reach in there like he's yours and you hook him up and you walk out. Right. You don't hesitate, you don't balk, you don't negotiate, you don't wait for him to stop barking. You just gotta reach in like he's always been yours. Like you own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, when I went down, I got to stay at the old Alpha House in town there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dogs stayed in the garage and crates, and you know, it's cool. It was a really cool experience for me as well. Those were nice. I bought one house, and I bought another. I ended up having four of them, and it was called Alpha, Delta, uh, Bravo, and whatever the hell we called the fourth one. That was a great experience. And then we moved to the base. That was great. And now we're uh, getting ready to move. I didn't tell you this. I sold both of the big dorm, big dorms to the Koreans that are coming in to build those chips there in Kokomo at the Chrysler plants. I sold both of them. And I just acquired the old YMCA in the middle of Peru. Mm -hmm. This place is going to be so amazing. It's huge. It's right in the dead center where you can walk to the, all the restaurants, to any bar you want to go to. The place is going to have individual rooms like we've always had, but you're going to have racquetball courts, basketball courts, weight rooms, big screen TV rooms, jukeboxes, kitchens, and it's going to be like a little city. And then the other floors are going to be training areas, classrooms. This thing is huge, and you got to come see it. Oh, can't wait. you got to come see it. You know, we have our Olympics in August, right. and it should be done by then. I, I'm sorry. Look at me. I'm giddy. It, this thing, I fell into it. I just finalized it an hour ago. But uh, can you imagine walking out your room and walking over to play racquetball or walking out your room and go shoot some hoops with the guys or walking to your kitchen or walking and listening to your jukebox or watching a movie on a. I, but that's that's the next phase of violent kennels. Nice. Well, I can't wait to see it because I'm, I'm planning to come up for the Olympics. Are you? Yeah, yeah, we talked hey, there at the conference. The I, I want her to come up. The Let's Eagles are playing this year. Yeah? Yeah, come up. All right. Come up. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, I'm curious. I got to ask, what, and I think I understand why. You know, we we stole your box method, or at least what I envisioned is, is your box method. And obviously, it's not the method for every dog. But you have you guys have trained so many handlers, so many dogs, that it is vastly successful for most handlers, most most dogs. It's I don't want to, I don't want to call it dumbed down, but <laughs> it, it's it's practical, useful. It works, and you know it, it's worked for us for many years. I guess I have found some dogs that that I felt like it was a little bit too energized of an activity mm -hmm. that they they couldn't really focus because right. there was too many moving parts, but. For the most part, we've you know we've used that system. Yeah, I've used it for a long, long time, and 
It's not, there's others. I, I say that over and over. But I had to come up, you know, when you start your own business, you got to come up with a way that trains not just your vision of what a dog and a dog handler should be, but a variety of people. Because the people come in here, they're all going to be different. They're, the dogs are different. And this, the box system, the way I, I set it up, it's probably one of the simplest, fastest uh, ways that you could ever do it. And they learn so quick. Danny and I had a contest last year. We both picked a new dog that came off the airplane. We both finished our dogs on all four odors then in one day. Finished them from start to finish and put them on basic hides. Now, if you can if you can find a system that you can do that, and I mean, these were dead staring. They were great dogs. So, you know, we're not stupid. We picked out the best we could find out of the group that came in. Mm-hmm. But this whole system works so well. And one thing that bothers me, everybody, everybody talks and brags about knowing what the what grandma stew theory means. And you know, you know what I'm talking about. And they all, yeah. yeah. And I said, well, explain it to me. Well, you walk into grandma's house and she's cooking stew. You smell stew. I said, and what does the dog smell? The peas, the carrots, you know, every trainer that I've ever met will spooey that little story. But then I'll ask them how many odors you teach at a time. One. Now, either they don't believe what they just told me what you know they they tell you that the dog can smell multiple odors at a time right. and register them and understand what they mean but yet they'll only teach one at a time then they say marijuana back then is the strongest odor i'll prove to you that marijuana at the levels that we use don't mean shit to them it's just another thing they don't care about they're working with you they're working for the toy but to train one odor at a time go ahead everybody out there keep doing it because i'm training and my bomb dogs, 15 dogs at a time, well, faster than you're training your one. I don't, if you're going to say a theory to me, you should use it. Mm-hmm. But they're not. And uh, they make fun of me. You, if you read, have you seen the articles about how I'm full of shit and how what I'm doing, <laughs> how what I'm doing is wrong? And I'm, I was the Malinois seller that was just trying to rip off poor handlers out there, you know. It's amazing what people will say, but I think you should use the theories. If you if you talk it, you should use it. That's just me getting crazy. No, I mean, I think that there is a – I haven't any heard anybody target you. I've heard – I think that there are folks that are using a lot of science, and I'm not – I'm certainly not bashing science, but I think some of the science is maybe causing people to give pause to things like the stew method you you may come up with a reason through science that makes makes it sound like it shouldn't be feasible but but how do you explain why it works how do you explain it and it does yeah. work yeah yeah i'm with you howard well it, it gives me pause because i you know i love those folks as well and i i listen and i follow as intently as i can and i i take a lot of stuff you know at face value i think about some of the stuff that I've taken at face value, I think the, I didn't start using scent logics and I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I didn't start using it until I heard that, that you had used it and that Jeff Franklin had used it. And I thought, well, there's two names that I trust and, you know, we used it and, and I, I, I continue to use it and it continues to work. It does work. It does. And, you know, I put it out in my Olympics. I almost had a, What's the word? Uh, were they a revolt? <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, there were guys that were leaving. 
I said, okay, I'll redo this and I'll just make a set logics event. But you people that are closed minded like that, you know, I do all my odors at one time. And when I first train a dog, I train him on live odors. And you know, the only reason I do that court, right? So the only reason I do that, because I've used set logics in Afghanistan, Iraq, and I've never lost a single person. So something's working. Right. Yeah. Here at Working Dog Depot, we're pleased to make an extra special announcement. Fox and Hound Canine Foundation will be hosting their first celebration event with a fun-filled day meeting canine teams from across the country in an incredible atmosphere on Table Rock Lake in Branson, Missouri. On June 3rd, fun for the whole family will start at 12 noon. Included in the day of events are special canine demonstrations, raffles, a silent auction, vendor booths, balloon artists, live entertainment, and music. Later on in the evening, you're invited and encouraged to join in the gala event starting at 6. You can purchase an entire table or individual seating as you see fit. Enjoy an open bar, which will transition into a cash bar a little bit later in the evening. Also included are a silent auction, music, special private canine demonstrations, and VIP guest appearances. A detailed agenda will be forthcoming as the event date draws closer. We know that the folks at Fox and Hound, our title sponsor, have a huge heart for canines and their handlers. It's important to know that all proceeds that are raised by their fantastic Canine Foundation event go to assist canine teams by providing funding, equipment, supplies, paid canine medical expenses, canine handler education, and specialty training for active and retired canines. Don't miss out on this super opportunity to network. Have some fun and support a wonderful cause. We hope to see you there. Well, I've definitely I've definitely used it and seen it used successfully. Yeah, yeah. Well, for somebody for like me, the fact that it's legal to obtain just makes it so easy. Yeah, you can't throw it in your bag and get on an airplane, can you? <laughs> you know what's funny is it too i i've got some and i'm sure you have some that, that's old too and i i date everything but i know that i think his shelf life on it is supposed to be a year i, I don't think that stuff ever degrades i don't think live does i i've got <laughs> odors that are 10 years old and my dogs hit my brand new odors the same as they hit these 10 year or more so right. a lot of the science i'm with you get out and train dogs you know Get out and train dogs. You'll learn a lot. So I had a handler ask me a question last night. It was kind of off. It wasn't off the wall. It was just a little different. He was asking the question if anybody had ever done any studies on, he he referred to it as residual, like how much, how long would the odor linger? And I said, man, there's just way, so this was through text. And I said, this is a phone conversation. But first of all, there's too many factors. Because mm-hmm. there are things that that are sticky substances, and and we have to determine: is it really residual lingering odor, or is it is it trace? Is or is there actually it's actual stuff? Something there. Yeah. So I said, <coughs> I don't. You know, I'm not sure where you're going with your test. I I think that I don't certainly don't know anybody that's done it. I know that we certainly have dogs that. If I had a hideout today and we brought a dog and we picked it up and we brought a dog in, you know, tomorrow, but it's going to have to be a different dog. If it's the same dog, it could be a working memory issue. He could, he could figure that out, but I don't know, too too many factors. I got in a big argument with the military when they came here to buy dogs. They wanted to do the, the way they wanted to pick dogs 
is they wanted me to give them four small square cubicle rooms. And that's what I've got set up out here. And in the first room, they wanted to put, let me get this screwed up, but a, a, a tennis ball with the absence, with some kind of odor. In the next room, they wanted to put just the the absence. And the next three rooms, nothing. I said, okay. Our dogs came in and killed the tennis ball of the absence. Came in the next room, killed the de- made that association right away, which I knew they would. They got to the third room. They come through the door, and you can see I'm not as interested. They got to the fourth and fifth room. They didn't even want to go in the room. You know what this guy from the military said? Put them up. They don't have any hunt drive. I about, I about lost my mind. I said, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. My dogs are telling you when they get to that third, fourth, and fifth room that there's nothing in there. And they're telling you that at the door. This guy in charge of buying all the dogs for the military looked at me like I had something growing out of my forehead. He goes, what are you talking about? So, well, they know at the doorway. Well, how do they do that? Well, how do you think they know there's a man behind a locked door? Odor moves. He did not know this. He did not have a clue. Now, how can you be buying the dogs for a large organization and you don't know that simple fact? So I I ended it with him. I sent him home. And I needed that. You know, I need to settle the military. But he didn't know that order moved. He thought he could put a piece of paper underneath a stick of dynamite and then take that dynamite out and remove that piece of paper and there would be no more dynamite odor in that drawer. These guys... One of the biggest things I teach a lot, you know that, and and I'm in I'm in a room in Chicago, a hits conference. I had close to 500 people in my room. It was, it was a wonderful conference, and they start raising their hands almost right away. <laughs> Were you there? Yeah. Howard. Yeah. Well, this this guy goes. I, I got a question for you, and I love it when they talk because you know cops normally don't talk. And he said, uh, "How often should I proof my dogs off of marijuana?" Now I'm standing in front of this room, and I'm going. Where's Danny? I'm thinking my, Danny's setting me up for something. I go, okay. Well, let me. I gotta ask you a question first. Is your dog trained on marijuana? No. I said, how often are you doing this? Every time I train. I said, you're training your dog on marijuana. I walked away. I, before I got to that, 25, 30 people raised their hands. Yeah. How how often should we be doing this? I said, is your dog trained on sun on, on glasses? Is he trained on cell phones? Is he trained on tape? And they're looking at me and they don't, our instructors are not teaching our students enough because these kids, they, he didn't understand what I was saying. I said, if he's never been introduced to it, doesn't mean anything to him. But by you putting it in with your other odors and training it at the same time, you're in essence training him. And these, you, the rumble in the room, you know, I know a bunch of people called me an idiot. But that's the big question now. But the, my point is, they're not teaching the, the students. Our first day, we started a class three days ago. Our first day is the same thing I teach at the big seminars. Our first day in our basic course. And they don't know it. No, the people out there, I want to change, but they won't let me. Hits won't let me. Vegas won't let me. Because these new students aren't being taught anything. Anthropomorphism, proprioception, titrate. They don't know what these things mean. Now, how can you be a new dog handler and not be taught the basics of our career field? But that's mm-hmm. what's happened. Mm-hmm. I can't teach anything advanced because they don't know anything basic. Right. Please don't be mad at me, everybody, but that's that's what I'm running into. What well, you, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say you, you continue to draw big crowds. I mean, some of it is you're you're very entertaining. 
you're charismatic speaker and people want to hear that. And uh, I know that's what's brought me back numerous times. I didn't have any anticipation that I was going to learn anything especially <laughs> new, but many times you need to, you need to hear things more than once for it to stick, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's fun. I think seminars are absolutely important. They didn't have them back in the seventies, eighties and nineties. Um, I think you learn a lot. We spread information. I be- I like having um, no, not not agreeing because that's that's what makes it fun. That's what brings it out in people. So yeah, I think seminars are awesome. So so what's next for you? You got your new place going on. What's what's Von Lick look like in the next five years? Well, we got the new place going on. Our classes are full. Or, well, there's no such thing as full. Our classes are doing well. We do a lot. You know. A lot of stuff overseas. I've got uh, associates in Brazil, Turkey, South Africa, and we work a lot with those guys. I just like I like traveling. I like working with different people. I like seminars, and I like teaching here. So I don't know. Like I said, I'm 65, so I don't know. I know I want to do it at least five more years. That'll put me over 50 years with dogs, and I want to do that. That's kind of a goal. But other than that. Train dogs, play with dogs. I, I got a new breed I'm playing with. Started about a year and a half, two years ago, and we've got a few of them out in the field now. People probably know what I'm talking about, called the Yak Terrier. Have you seen them? I haven't. Yeah. No. Hey, hey, if these little dogs, they're about this big. I mean, they're little bitty things, but if they were Malamos, you couldn't handle them. They're right. driven. They're, they're dogs that were bred to hunt rats and rabbits and stuff like that. Afraid of nothing, not mean, um, super ball driven, and uh, they're just cool. So I got this little breed I'm messing with. We we phased down our boxes to, to their size because the boxes we had were just too damn big. <laughs> yeah, I like I like training new dogs. You know, like the Bouviers, the Giant Snousers, and now we've gotten into some smaller breeds. You know, just training dogs and training people. That's what's fun. We're I'm, we're not going anywhere. And one thing that bothered me. I did the the uh, special forces and all the guys, and I had an idea of what their dogs should be before we ever started, and it wasn't what the police had. I had an idea that we needed to go smaller. We needed to go not the dog that already realized he was an alpha, one that had those character in him, but not one that ha- that knew he was already. You know what I'm talking about? That dog that's walking around with his you know, chest out and looking looking to challenge things. Because I knew these guys all worked in four to whatever man teams. You know, they're hut hut hutting, jumping up into helicopters, going down, you know, hallways with four to six guys, firing weapons. So I had a whole different concept. And when I wrote this up, when they came, what I proposed, Lachlan made fun of me. They called them lick lighter super dogs. They couldn't, they didn't think that you could take a Malawa and run down a, a, a hallway, firing weapons, chasing a bad guy, and the Malinois is off-leash, unmuzzled, and running right along with you, cutting in between your legs, going in and out, because their dogs would eat, eat you. Mm-hmm. Well, we've been doing it for years now, and when we first introduced it to the Special Forces, you know, they kind of went, oh, okay. But if you get the right dogs and get away from that paradigm of the police dog, these dogs will eat you, but they're all fight-driven, you know, if you know that, I hate those titles, but they they were like MMA fighters. They went in there to to fight with their, their group and to take take on people. And uh, I now don't 
to that contract. But I'm still the one that found those dogs, and I know where they are. And what's mm-hmm. amazed me is I'm not getting calls. Why wouldn't you want dogs that would do that as a policeman? But I'm not getting the calls that I thought I would. And we 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 know where we can get those dogs, and we still have those dogs, and we can still provide those dogs. So hopefully I can find people to start understanding, wait a minute, Lick Lider's still out there, but he's not working those contracts. So, yeah, that kind of bothers me that people aren't calling. The, mil- the regular military. Why right. would they want those dogs? But, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. It's only been a little while. so. But we're doing the same things. Uh, you know, have you ever seen the new kennel that we built during the TED program? Have you I, been- have, I have not. Oh, you got to come see this. You got to come see this. But the land that we have, we've, we've got five lakes now. I've filled them with all kinds of fish. So the guys come here and they, they work dogs. They go fishing. And it's just a good time, except for January, February, March. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little chillier on that time, isn't it? Just a bit, just a bit. Yeah. Well, Ken, I know that you guys got you got to get out uh, after four here, so we're going to be respectful of your time. Is there anything else you want to to share? No, it's really neat to still be in the same career field this long. Go to these seminars and you know meet new people. No, it's just great. Good to see you, Rich. I hadn't seen you. I didn't even realize that was you sitting at that table. <laughs> I haven't seen you in forever. Howard, we've run into each other a lot, but you guys need to come up here. The Olympics, we've got the Eagles playing this year. It's a lot of fun if you want to judge or if you just want to run around and watch what's going on. So, yeah, hope you guys can make it. It'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, I'll get the dates from you. We'll, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to make it up. Okay, great, great. great. Well, good. well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. We know you're busy. We're very, uh, very honored to have you on, and, and we appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks so much, you guys, for following along, supporting us, and listening to these wonderful conversations that Howard and I are just blessed to have each and every day. We'd like to thank and support all of our first responders, police, fire, EMS, and our military for once again holding the line, keeping us safe. Stay safe, brothers and sisters. We love you. God bless, and God bless America.